Good morning. Connie and I were in Florida all week, uh, working on strategy for 2020 um, with our mission, and uh, it was brutally hot there. It was like 80 degrees. Um, it was terrible. <laughs> um, and we, the the group we worked with, the PMN in. I didn't turn this on, did I? Sorry about that. The PMN in India, they already have planted churches in a hundred different language groups. They've translated, they've drafted New Testaments in 35 of those language groups. And we discovered that they have a hundred more languages that they're planning to plant churches in. Um, So we are really just trying to run to catch up with these guys that are just sending out church planters on and on and on. I mean, they are they are passionate about seeing uh, the people come to Christ, of, of really just taking over India uh, for Christianity. And this is an environment where actually uh, they are being persecuted. The state we were in, over a hundred non-government institutions, so non-profits, most of those, the vast majority of those would be Christian organizations. Over a hundred of them have been shut down this year because they've received funds from overseas. And that's a way of saying, oh, we have freedom of religion, but all these ministries, we're just going to shut them down systematically and close all of these Christian ministries so they will not be able uh, to function anymore. A close friend of ours there in India, um, Philip, was working with a a group that was rescuing trafficked women and girls, and that was closed due to having received funds from overseas. Um, Anyway, it was just a a great time to be there, uh, to work on our our strategy for 2020. Um, We stayed with our our co-workers, Larry and Shirley Sally, uh, Shirley's sister, Susan, is living with them. She's a lifelong missionary, worked in the Philippines for many, many years, has um, suffered from dementia the last few years. Really, um, she was in her 60s. She really, uh, it, it came on early for her. I just found out um, just a few minutes ago, she died of a heart attack last night. Um, and Larry's note was that she was a lifelong missionary in the Philippines, and she has finally received the promotion that she has been desperately praying for. Um, So she is in heaven, and her mind is clear, and she sees her Savior. Um, We are going to go to Matthew 5, and then we're going to get to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, but we're going to start in Matthew 5, because First Peter, in this passage in chapter 3, is really just instructing, giving us the instructions, reiterating the instructions that Christ gave to us. So we're going to start in Matthew 5, and then go to First Peter chapter 3. Matthew 5 starting verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 
And then jumping down to verse 43. Verse 43. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the truth that he lived and taught. I pray that we would live and teach as he did. That these truths would change us this week. That our behavior, that our relationships, that our, our friendships, that our relationship with you would be different because of what, is, what you show us from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you can read that. If you say happy holidays, I will punch you in the face. Um, that's a, a joke t-shirt that I almost got for Josh for Christmas. Um, I decided not to because I didn't know when he could wear it. Uh, <laughs> but it's a joke because it's somewhat funny because it's a little almost true. It's not true. We wouldn't punch somebody in the face if they said happy holidays. But I literally have heard people say happy holidays and someone stop. Merry Christmas. <laughs> happy New Year. <laughs> it, it's, it's like as if they punched you in the face. As if, you know, you're going to say happy holidays. That's an offense to me. You're diminishing what I am celebrating because as a Christian, I am in celebrating the beauty of Christ's birth. And that is extremely important to me. And when you say happy holidays, that's, that's tearing that down. That's diminishing the focus on Christ. And that offends me. And so I want to hurt you back. I want to, to fight against you. The muscular system of the body is what's called an anti-fragile system. A fragile system is something that if you put stress on it, it breaks. An anti-fragile system gets stronger when you put a reasonable amount of stress on it. When you put stress on your muscles, they get stronger. Uh, and, and that is, that's how we exercise. But if you don't put stress on those muscles, they will atrophy. They will get weaker. The mind is also an anti-fragile system. It needs stress in order to get stronger. It, and this is why we give school children exercises. We give them uh, assignments. We give them homework so that their mind will be stressed to a reasonable amount so that it will get stronger. Now, when you give a child an assignment to do long division, they think that you are truly hurting them. You are attacking them. I tried many times to explain to my sons that there is no crying in math. It didn't work. They still cried when we gave them certain assignments. That's that, that's because there is this stress, there is this feeling of tension, of, of almost hurt as we are stressed uh, to a certain degree. Now we have been told how unhealthy stress is. We've, we've been told this time and time again that your physical health deteriorates because of stress. And so now we live in a society where we are told... Do not put any stress on me, 
any stress that you bring to me by offering a different viewpoint or a different opinion is an attack on me because if stress affects me physically, then you are physically injuring me by stressing my mind. Therefore, a violent response, a reaction, a protest against your attack on me is justified because you have physically hurt me by putting us through stress. And so we have safe spaces where you are safe from differing opinions. You are safe from uh, outside ideas. But that results in a weak mind. Now, we weren't raised this way. And I don't believe we're raising our children this way. However, often the church has become our safe space. Our idea that no one can have a differing opinion because you are attacking me. You are wronging me in my place, in my church, in my home, my family. And you've, you, we, we, we joke about, this is nothing new, we joke about uh, that, that a Baptist church would split over the color of the carpet. It's not a joke. It's true. It's absolutely true. I personally have seen churches split over a diet. The pastor didn't think he needed to abide by that diet. Many of the people in the church thought that diet was biblical. Therefore, the pastor's not biblical. So we're leaving. We're going to do evil. We're going to hurt that church. We're going to take our toys and go home. And this is exactly how the world is thinking. They're thinking that if you hurt me, if you if you attack me, if you offer some some opposing opinion, then I am being attacked, I am being hurt, and the response to that is I will hurt you or I will escape this situation. That is the world's philosophy, that is humanistic, self-centered thinking, and when we do that in the church, we are acting exactly like the world. And hundreds of churches have been split over things that don't aren't even written in their own doctrinal statements. They haven't prioritized the primary doctrines of Scripture, and they'll split over how someone uses the English language. They'll split over the sounds sound of, of what someone's music sounds like or, or what they wear to a church service. And it, it's not even in their doctrinal statement. It wasn't important enough for their own leaders to write it down. And yet, they don't feel safe there. They feel wronged there. They feel offended there. They feel hurt there. And they lash out, and they attack, and they divide, and they split churches. And the world looks at that and says, you say you're distinctive. You say you're different. And you're acting just like us. You've lost that distinction. You see, I'm wearing a button-up shirt. Men in the world wear button-up shirts. Am I worldly because I wear a button-up shirt? That's not the definition, the biblical definition of worldliness. The biblical definition of worldliness is thinking the same way the world thinks. It's using that same selfish, self-centered thought process of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And when we think that way and behave that way in the church, we are worldly. We are acting the way the world acts. And so, when we return evil for evil, Railing for railing. When we, when we hate our enemies, that 
That is when we act just like the world. Christ says here, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. What is he talking about? Who says that? The world says that. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's the world's thought process. And Christ is saying, no. This is contrary. This is different. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I was going to subtitle this message as love your enemies. But I think often we often we look at that and we think, well, we send missionaries to the Middle East. That's how we love our enemies. Because there's terrorists over there. They're our enemies. But we aren't thinking about the people who have wronged us. The people who have hurt us. We don't really think of them as enemies. But the good thing is Christ doesn't leave it there. He says... Those who curse you, those who wrong you, those who hate you, that's who you are to love. That's who you are to do good to. Turn with me to First Peter. Christ commissioned the disciples, the apostles, to make disciples by teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Peter is writing to the persecuted church, and he is teaching them the exact things that Christ taught them. Those commands, he's reiterating it right here in chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Finally, be ye all... Now remember... Speaking to the persecuted church, but he's gone through a list. As we've worked through this passage, this, this, these chapters, he's gone through a list of U.S. citizens, masters, and servants, and husbands, and wives. He's gone through this list, and now he's saying, everybody, all of you, be of one mind. And that's why I started with the mind is this anti-fragile system. And that it actually, to, to, to make a mind strong and make relationships strong, there's a certain amount of tension and difference that's there that is superseded by a oneness. Be of one mind. That doesn't mean we're all clones. It means that we elevate Christ and the gospel of Christ and the salvation that's been provided to us is so precious and so beautiful that it is lifted high above our differences. That our, our, uh, our finances are different, our education is different, our backgrounds are different, our families are different. But Christ loved the marginalized. He welcomes them in and he blesses them. He took us as sinners and washed us and bound our wounds and loved us. And that should be so beautiful to us that in spite of our differences, this should be so precious and so unifying that we can have one mind about this. And God takes the family of the church and weaves it together in a beautiful, a beautiful tapestry. Because we're gifted in different ways. He doesn't want us to all be alike. He wants us to show the world that we have a greater identity than our gender or, or our, our, our political positions. That, that, that there's more than that. You see, these, these groups... Uh, that are, are so vocal about their, their opinions, and sometimes uh, violently so, if you step out of line, if you say, I'm a little different than that, 
You are ostracized from the group. The church is not to be like that because we have a single-mindedness about the primary doctrines, about the inspiration of Scripture, about the deity of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, about His death for our sins and His resurrection and His soon return, that these things capture us so much that our differences fade to the background. You see, Christ, the Son of God, was so distinct from us. Do you realize how other God is from me? And yet Christ took on flesh and came in the form of a servant. He was willing to say, those distinctions, I'm not going to let them keep us separate. Because there's one thing that you need. And that's salvation. And the dream that Joseph has. What's he told? His name will be Jesus because he will save you from your sins. That's, that's, that was so primary that Jesus said, you know those differences? Those things that separate me from you? I'm going to put on flesh. I'm going to, it's going to be God with man. And in that beauty, he said, this, this is primary. The salvation from your sin, your relationship with God that has been broken by your sin is absolutely primary. And so I'm going to do what it takes to bridge that gap. And through faith, we trust in you in that. So we are of one mind. Having compassion one of another. That we are to be sympathetic to one another. And and what Peter's laying out here is that in the church, in the body of Christ, there is to be a practice of caring and loving and tenderness for one another that then can be lived out throughout the world. But it's exercised most frequently here. But what that means is that there's people in the church who are going to wrong you, and we have to practice these things when that happens. So, be all of one mind. Having compassion one of another, that's sympathizing with each other. Love as brethren. Treating one another as family. When something happens to one of our fellow members of our church, it should be as if we should think, if that was my brother that that happened to, if that was my sister, if that was my mother who was living alone and had no one to have Christmas with, what would I do for her? That was my own mom, my own family. What would I do? That's how it's supposed to be in the body of Christ. Be pitiful, tender-hearted, merciful, Compassionate and be courteous. That's a that's a humility. That's this idea of 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 lowering yourself to serve someone enough to to be like Christ to to serve others. This idea of humility it's it's very hard when we feel wronged. Um, I remember a few years ago. I had some questions that I needed to ask a, 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 a pastor. And they were important questions. Really very, very key, important things that I, I needed to know. But as I would read my list of questions and write my list of questions, I would get more and more angry. And I would just think, oh yeah, this question? That's going to pin him to the wall. I'm going to nail him. 
But I would get to the point where I was physically shaking. I was so angry. And I called a, a trusted pastor friend and explained to him what was going on. And he said, Birch, how did Christ come to us? He came in humility. He came to serve. You need to leave, remove any questions that are not humbly, genuinely asking to, in order to understand what this, this pastor is saying. You need to come to him the way Christ came to us. And until I got to that point, I knew I couldn't have a meeting with him. I knew it wasn't possible. And I had to strike question after question after question. I'm like, but that's a really good question. But it wasn't a humble question. There's to be a humility in the body. And then, so these are all internal things. It's setting your mind. It's changing your thinking from the world's thinking, the humanism of the world. And then also changing your heart. You are to be compassionate. You are to be loving. You are to be sympathetic with others. You are to be humble. And then verse 9 tells us, how that's acted out, how that's lived out. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary-wise. Contrary-wise. This is distinct from the world's thinking. This is distinct from what the world teaches. This is a different mindset, a different worldview. We're going to do the opposite of not just what the world teaches, but my own flesh, my own human nature wants to return evil for evil. That's what we want. When someone passes you and cuts you off, what do you want to do? You want to return evil for evil. You want to cut them off. You want to drive into their rear bumper when they hit the brakes as soon as they get in front of you. And probably if you knew it wasn't going to do any damage to your car, you'd really consider it. <laughs> That's the tiniest little slight. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, how important is that? <clears throat> but we build it up in our mind and we want to commit evil for evil. So this is in our own nature. It's not just the world around us. It's inside of us. But it's saying contrary to that. Blessing. We are to bless those who despitefully use us. We are to bless those who curse us. We are to return blessing for <coughs> cursing, good for evil. That is truly contrary. Truly different. We are to Bless, meaning to seek another's good. To seek their well-being. To help them. To love them. To provide for them. To care for them. To sympathize with them. To try to seek to understand them. To bless them. That's the goal here. That's the, the distinction here. That's what, what, what we're being called to, what Christ is calling us to when he says, love your enemies. He means not just, hmm, I'm going to put up with it for now. No, actively bless them. Give to them. That's really hard. <clears throat> And if you're looking at this and, and listening to me and thinking, yeah, I think I can do that, that doesn't sound that hard, then I haven't communicated it well. Because you should read this and you should immediately think, that's hard. Because it's not just a differing in opinion. Sometimes we're, we're offended and we shouldn't be offended. But all of us know 
that we have been truly wronged at some point. We have been really hurt. Because this the evil of this world and ourselves is going to destroy relationships. It's going to hurt us. It's going to come back on us in some way. And it can be as simple as somebody cutting you off in traffic, that you were wronged, but that's a minor thing. But it can go all the way to a friend who betrays you, who cuts you so deep that you will have scars on your heart for the rest of your life. That evil, that being sinned against, that being wronged, truly wronged. This passage isn't, isn't qualifying here, well, if they, if they really meant to hurt you, then don't bless them. No. This is the persecuted church. These are, these are people who are losing their jobs, who are losing their homes, whose families are being killed. And Peter's writing them, bless those who curse you. Don't return evil for evil. That's hard. But what does he say? End of verse 9. Contrarywise blessing, knowing that thereunto, that you are thereunto called. You have been called to bless others. You have been called to do good for others. We often quote Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. A very, very powerful couple verses that's key to our faith. Verse 10, however, says that we are predestined unto good works. Ephesians 2.10 We are called to do good works. So God, Christ saved us for a purpose and that purpose is to bless others. We are called to this and not only are we called to it, there is an inheritance, a blessed inheritance that comes through this goodness, these good works, these uh, these blessings that we bless others with. End of the verse. That you should inherit a blessing. Now let me make a couple caveats here. First, when we're talking about legal transactions, there's a... The, Back, remember back in chapter 2 where it said that God has set up authorities to punish evildoers. We aren't saying that, oh, well, you're supposed to uh, return good for evil, so the government should just let criminals go and bless them. No. This passage is very clear. The government has been given authority to punish evil. That's correct. So we aren't talking about Legalities. We're talking about relationships where someone has wronged you. Someone has done something to hurt you. And what do you do about that? You bless them. Is there a problem with the mics? Yes. Is this dead? Yeah. Is this dead? <laughs> okay. I'll just go with this then. I'll try to stop walking around. Okay. So, you didn't hear that? So that was good. Um, <laughs> verse 10. Once again, if you're thinking this is hard, this sounds difficult, let me give you some encouragement. 
For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that speak no guile, that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil, turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it or pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? See, the world tells us that it's a dog-eat-dog world. The world tells us that you need to look out for number one. And if you don't, you're going to be taken advantage of. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be walked all over. That's what the world teaches us. But we are no longer dogs. We are sons and daughters of a loving father who protects us and who cares for us and who hears our prayers. So we do not have to be looking out for number one because we're not number one. We're not the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. God is number one. And because he's number one, he has the power to hear you, protect you, and he loves you so much that he cares about your eternal destiny, about your soul, to the extent that he sent his only begotten son for you. So if God loves you and cares for you, then you can love recklessly without looking out for yourself. Without being so protectionist that, oh, I don't want to be so vulnerable that I invite someone in because that allows them the chance to wrong you, to hurt you. If you bring them into your home, if you show them hospitality then that gives them the greater chance to cut you deep, to betray you. But here we're seeing that even those who hurt us, particularly in the church, that we are to love them, that we are to bless them, that we are to, to, to seek their good, why? Because we have a Father in Heaven who watches out for us, who protects us, who hears our prayers. And if we have faith in that instead of our own ability to protect ourselves and keep ourselves from harm and from evil, if we trust in that, then we can do good for others. The second caveat I want to point out here is that this sounds a lot like law. Do this, be this, be good, do good for those who do you, to those who do you evil. Uh, have lips that speak no guile, eschew evil, turn from evil, do good, let him seek peace, pursue it. It sounds like don't do bad, do good, and God will bless you. And that is what it's saying. <laughs> the grace, the victory of grace is in the next section. When Jamie preaches that, he's going to go through Christ's victory. But there is this balance of instruction, law, that Christ said, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And that's where we're at in this section. So don't hear me wrong that I'm somehow discounting the grace of God's blessing. It's absolutely there. And that's what motivates us to obey this. Because God is so good and a God that's so loving and so good, we should obey. Note, verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain from evil. That, that this idea, notice we, we, we called this, this whole series about First Peter, we called it thriving in Babylon. It's not surviving Babylon. It's not just, oh, I'm gonna, I hope I make it. 
And sometimes when people talk about Christ coming back, it's as if they really just want to get out of here. It's not that they just, oh, I can't wait to see my Savior. It's, I, I can't put up with this world anymore, and I just want to escape. That's the same as the safe spaces. I just want to escape from any, any of this hardship. And believe me, I can't wait to be finally free of my sin that weighs me down. That is going to be such a beautiful day. To get to see my Savior and know that my sin is truly and fully, completely gone. But it's not that we are to escape these things. We are to thrive in Babylon. And so David is the author here. Uh, This section is a quote from Psalm 34. He's saying, those that would love life, if you want to embrace life for all it's worth, Do good. Run from evil. Seek hard. Chase hard after peace. You know how you do that? You return good for evil. That's how you chase hard after peace. That's how you love recklessly. That's how you invite people in and show them the love that's been shown to you. Then finally... My third point here, verses 15 and through 17. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you. Your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Look at verse 15. Remember, we are talking about the context of being wronged, of having evil done to you, and turning around and doing good in return. And then he says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Lift God high. Recognize that it doesn't matter those that can kill the body. You know the one who can save your soul. That this, that his gloriousness is so great that men and what they think of you And their mistreatment of you becomes small because God has been set high, high and lifted up in your mind that you are seeing him as set apart, sanctified, holy, separate. Sanctify him in your heart. Is he holy? Is he separate? He always is. Do we always see him that way? A lot of times we see the people around us as much bigger than God is. We're looking at them and we're thinking, wow, I want, I, I want them to like me. I want them to, to, to think good of me. I, I, it, it hurts me so much that they, they have wronged me this way. And, it's a, it, and then an anger or a sin that, that God has brought into our, our, our that, that Satan has tempted us with, comes in and creeps up and says, you need, to, you need to get that person back. You need to return evil for their evil. Or you need to escape to your comforts of, of, of sin. But God says, no. Lift me high. See me as bigger than those circumstances around you, than what's going on around you. And as you do, continue to do good. Continue to bless others. Continue to love, because this is what you are called to. And your, your inheritance demonstrates that you have something, a gift, that's way bigger than anything that can be taken from you now. And as you live that out, verse 15 
you can be ready to always give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that's within you, that's in you with meekness and fear. What, what it's saying is that you can, you can live in such a way that's so distinct, that's so contrary-wise, so different from how the world thinks, that it stands out to the point where someone asks, what do you got that I don't have? What is that hope that's within you? And if you're living this way and you've sanctified God in your heart and you see him as truly who he is, as your, as, as your savior, as your father, as, as, as the one who, who truly loves you, you can tell them, I do have something that you don't have, but it's yours for free. Having a good conscience, that even that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that they falsely accuse you. Knowing before God, this isn't before man, this is before God, a good conscience. Man doesn't know your conscience. God knows your conscience. So that before God, you have a good conscience. And you can recognize, Lord, what did I do? Was I right in this relationship? Did I seek their good? Was I selfish? That you want that conscience before God so that even when they falsely accuse you, it's truly false. They don't have a leg to stand on. They might do it anyway, but there's nothing there. And finally, it's better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. This is almost saying, you're going to suffer either way. <laughs> you're going to suffer whether you do good or evil, so at least suffer for doing good. It's, a, it's this idea that God has called you to live completely differently. To live according to a completely different set of rules, a completely mi different mindset, a different perspective of what loving life is about. That I am so at rest in my salvation, that I am so at rest in my protection, that, that the, the love of God envelops me in such a way that I can return good for evil. That when you wrong me, I will bless you. I will serve you. So we're all done. But let me give you just a couple practical things. So tomorrow morning, your mind starts turning about that person, that family, that family member that's really hard to love. A lot of those show up around the holidays. And we know we know that there we have people who are really hard to love and, and people who have wronged us and you don't want to let them back in. What do you do? The first thing you should do is discipline your mind to pray for them and forgive them. Forgive them as many times as it takes because it is going to come back. And when they do, when it does, forgive them and pray for them. Christ's example on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <laughs> when someone says happy holidays to you, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They literally don't know. But those, even those deeper wrongs, those things that we worry about that, that just churn over and over in our heads, Pray for them. Seek their good. As you, as you work to forgive them, 
Make that active. Make that transformation of your mind, that, that discipline of the mind that you've been working on, that compassion. Seek ways to help them. Listen to them. You realize that hundreds of thousands of people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to just hire somebody to listen to them? And often, what somebody is wanting is just someone who will seek to understand, seek to listen, and hear them. But that takes time. That takes really awkward and uncomfortable situations. I, I, we have a couple that they have turned us away time and time and time again to the point where I'm just done with them. And a few years back, he called me up and he said, Birch, we're in real trouble. And I thought, the last thing I want to do is go over to this guy's house tonight. Very hard to love. And God turned that into just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And this week, he called me, and he called Connie and he said, what do I, how do I become a member of a church? I'm like, what? Him? <laughs> how did that happen? But it takes, it takes seeking their good, hearing their cares, their, their needs, and looking at those needs with compassion, with humility, with a, a, a seeking to serve those who have wronged you. Folks, this is a hard passage. Which is why it's really good that he starts with be ye all. Because it's all of us. All of us are to return good for evil. All of us are to actively love our enemies by blessing. Let's pray.